Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Happy holidays and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Well, here we are at the end of the year with 2022 almost upon us. And Democrats are more nervous than ever before looking ahead at the midterm elections. They know that history's against them. With very few exceptions, the president's party loses seats in the first midterms. And they know that despite President Biden getting a lot done, getting the United States back in the lead on climate change and managing one crisis after another, the American people are concerned concerned about inflation, higher prices, kids' schools, and especially about that damn coronavirus with all of its variants that just won't go away. So is it all over for Democrats? Too late for Democrats? And if not, what should Democrats be doing and saying? What should their message be? Today, we put all of those questions to Paul Begala, Democratic strategist, co-manager of Bill Clinton's election in 1992, longtime contributor to CNN, and like me, a former co-host of CNN's Crossfire. Paul Begala, it's been too long. Good to talk to you again. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Bill, thanks a lot. It's always great to talk to you. I always come away smarter after I've talked to Bill Press. <laughs> we always have a lot of fun. So look, Paul, you and I have been through a lot of campaigns together, a lot of good causes together, spent a lot of time on CNN together, and we've been Democrats in the good times and the bad times. So as I look at things today, right, we were down at 4.2% unemployment. We've had the right. fastest economic recovery in history. Uh, we got $2 trillion in infrastructure money that's pumping out to create new jobs. One way or another, either December or January, we're going to pass this big Build Back Better bill. Democrats, we control the Senate, the House, and the White House. So why are Democrats so gloomy today? Why do they feel so you know, down today? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I Look, I think Democrats, Republicans, Independents, everybody's down because of COVID. We're still desperately worried yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, I, I know everybody that listens to this podcast is smart, so they're already vaccinated. But if you if you got a, a neighbor or a cousin Fred or something, you know, tell them to go get vaccinated. Uh, I think that's causing a lot of it. Uh, I live in Virginia now, and uh, the Democrat Terry McAuliffe, my old pal, lost the governor's race. And I think in part because people were just so fed up with COVID. Now that wasn't Terry McAuliffe's fault or Joe Biden's or anybody else's, but th- you know, they they the kids can't go into school and they can't they have to wear a mask. And they had, I just think there's deep anger and frustration about that. And that that's behind a lot of this. And then uh, in part because of supply chain and in part because of other reasons, you know, prices are up. So inflation is, is a worry. Um, it, you know, I, I, I think we're in a bad spot right now. I really do. And then you look forward to 2022 and the history is so powerful against the president's party that it, it makes Democrats gloomy. That yeah. said, 
they ought to go make the case. They ought to go sell. <laughs> you know, they ought to actually talk about the things they are doing. Um, and and I, they got they got to pass it, and I think they will. Yeah. But uh, but then they have to sell it. You know, well, that's, that's I want to ask. Certainly, I agree with you totally. In the COVID fatigue, it is real and it is everywhere. But part of it is also Democrats, the messaging, right? Right. Not, not out there talking about what they've accomplished and what it means to people. Do I a totally better, agree. better job at that, right? Well, yes. When they passed the Recovery Act in March, uh, I was talking to my old friend, uh, Bob Casey, the senator from Pennsylvania. We go back almost our whole adult lives. I just love the guy. Um, and he said, Democrats have to do two things that we're very bad at. And I said, what's that, Bob? He said, bragging and blaming. <laughs> and we're not doing either. Now the bragging should come easily, right? They've done a lot of great things for a lot of, uh, for all, every American. Uh, and yet they don't brag about it, but this is the place where I'm a little critical of our president and his team that they're not doing the blaming either. And I know he got elected in part to heal the partisan uh, uh, rancor, and I, I understand that, and I respect that, and I admire that. But I think one of the reasons Democrats are in so much trouble is because they're trying to do something so very big with a margin that is so very small. And the reason that Biden has to get every one of the Democrats is that the Republicans won't give him even one of the Republicans. And he should tell us that. I think he should go out and make the case and say, look, the reason that it's so hard is because not even one Republican is for child care. Not even one Republican is for elder care. Not even one Republican is for lowering the cost of your uh, health insurance premium or your prescription drugs. Not even one Republican is for rural broadband. I mean, uh, my God, farmers should have access to the same high quality pornography that the city folks have, Bill. <laughs> And I think to make that case, he needs to give the not even one Republican speech. Now, I know mm. that's not really in his nature because he's such a bipartisan guy, but I think he's got to do it in addition to the bragging. Or if he doesn't, then the rest of us have to. And right. so I'm doing it on your podcast. <laughs> Good. Well, let's start now. And I just, I totally agree. All, another factor is, or, or let me just ask you, make it a question. Do you think that the negativity in the media is a factor as well? I think it is. Uh, I do think it goes with the territory, though. Uh -huh. you know, um, Jefferson was a great believer in freedom of the press until he became president. <laughs> and all of a sudden, yeah. like, JFK had that great line, uh, who had been a reporter. You know, JFK covered the founding of the uh, of the United Nations in San Francisco. Um, and, and yet when he became president, he said, you know, I'm reading the papers more and enjoying them less. So I just think a lot of it goes with the territory. Um and I, don't, I have my criticisms about the coverage. I really do. I think they're trapped in a game schema. Uh, I think that too much of the coverage is ideological and and, and not um, uh, not looking at things like class and race rather than ideology, which I think drives a lot of our politics more. So mm -hmm. I, I do have my criticisms. But fundamentally, every president gets criticized by the press, and they should. So I, I'm not maybe as big a press basher as some. Uh, uh, another factor, um, Democrats in Congress, um, clearly even the Democrats are not going to agree on everything, but do you believe that the infighting among the Democrats, particularly in the house has, um, uh, let's say <laughs> not been a helpful factor in terms Absolutely, of Bill. showing so right. getting things done? Well, you know, yeah. you, you, you led the largest state party in America, you know, how hard it is to hold together our coalition. It's easy to hold theirs together. 
because it's not a coalition. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. just one kind of person. It's a cult. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a political death cult of personality. And we have a multi-generational, multi-racial, multi-gender, multi-ideological. You know, they just have to hold together everybody from the Cro-Magnons to the Neanderthals. Okay, we got to hold Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin in the same party. Um, Josh Gottheimer and AOC. You know, and it, it, I, particularly on the House side, um, th- there was a lot of bitterness. Yeah, I have friends up there and uh, in, in both the moderate uh, coalition and the, and the progressive coalition. I've talked to people, Congress members in both. And there was some real personal animus uh, that, that was really getting bitter. And I just can't tell you how much I admire Nancy Pelosi for holding this thing together. If she pulls this off, and I think she will, she will go down in history. The, being the first woman speaker will be the second sentence in her obituary because the first will be the greatest speaker in American history. I really believe that, Bill. Boy, I do too. Uh, the most effective by far, right? The mo- most politically astute, I mean, uh, over and above everybody else, right? Absolutely. Uh, even oh, even my even my Texas uh, hero, Sam Rayburn, <laughs> is nothing compared to Pelosi. I mean, I, I went back and looked. You know, with, with President Clinton, we had 58 votes in the Senate and probably a 60-vote margin in the House. Um, mm. President Obama had even bigger margins. And Biden has zero uh, uh, right. room for error in the Senate, and, and Speaker Pelosi only has three that she can lose on the House side. And yet they are passing uh, a, a, a sweeping legislation that is more progressive and uh, really more comprehensive than anything anybody's tried since Lyndon Johnson, who had over 60 senators and probably mm-hmm. 150 seat majority in the House. Right, right. Uh, given the um, you know speed bumps that you've ta- you've talked about, uh, particularly in the blaming side, but overall, eleven months in now, um, how's Joe Biden doing? Oh my God, great! Uh, I think he has gotten as rough a hand. You know, we always said Obama had the worst hand of any president in modern history, and he did. I believe Biden might have even gotten a worse hand um, because for for all of the challenges. Uh, facing President Obama, including pirates. You remember that? Oh, I do. Yes. <laughs> he had everything. And I thought, oh, this poor guy. Uh, and, and I thought he handled it magnificently. He was a great president. But Biden, even more, right? He he, he had this god-awful pandemic and then this, this violent insurrection. Uh, he had a collapsed economy. Uh, we were hemorrhaging jobs. Yeah, so I just think he's been phenomenal. And again, in the face of absolute recalcitrance from the Republican Party, absolute gridlock. And, you know, it's not that every Republican uh, hates childcare or hates uh, 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 rural broadband. It's that they worship Donald Trump and they fear him. And so they're trapped in, as you said, this cult. Uh, and Biden has taken all of that on. And uh, I've done it with remarkable success, and I think without losing his his good cheer and his faith, hope, and optimism. You um, alluded a little earlier to 2022. Um, I find, uh, Paul, so many Democrats that uh, friends of yours and mine that I speak to uh, basically have given up on 2022. Mm. I mean, and almost every newspaper article you read. They say, you know, 2020, where which Democrats are bound to lose the House. Is it hopeless in your in your view? In your view, 
right? It's never hopeless. Um, the Democrats have to be united and mainstream. And the Republicans have to be divided and extreme. Uh, the truth is, I think they're both on paths to do that. Uh, uh, it, but the, the history is really bad. That's fixed. We can't change that. And the history suggests you lose at least 25 to 30 seats for the newly elected president. Uh, the only times that that hasn't happened was 1934 in the New Deal and uh, 2002, uh, which was right after 9-11. Now, JFK held it to almost zero. I think he only lost one or two and he gained some seats in the Senate, but that was a few weeks after the Cuban Missile Crisis in 62. So uh, th these are extraordinary events, the, the, you know, the Great Depression, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 9-11. And um, as bad as Biden's got it, thank God he has none of those challenges. But I, I just think that um, the history is so powerful. So that's a fixed and there's nothing we can do about it. Also, the Republicans control the maps in the great majority of places. And so they're going to draw these districts to advantage Republicans with the great assistance of the uh, Trump court. It's not the Supreme Court anymore, by the way. It's the Trump court. Uh, they're not supreme of anything. Uh, uh, you know, b believe me, they, this, these are the most uh, right-wing partisan hacks in my lifetime that I've ever seen uh, on the court. And so they're going to help the Republicans uh, try to limit the, the voting rights of people of color, especially. So those are hard things against us. Here's what we have going for us. As you say, the economy is good. And by election day next year, it will be great. It will be so great that even our friends in the right-wing media will be unable to deny it. I mean it. This could be the greatest economy in American history. And I say that as a guy who proudly worked for Bill Clinton, who I think did create the greatest economy we ever had. Up until that time. Too. Right. Uh, I think Biden's economy may exceed even Clinton's. Uh, that's great. And I, I do believe that he is doing everything he can to get his arms around COVID. And uh, if, if we, he's, the vaccine rates have actually stepped up. We're closing in on 2 million new people every day. We're uh, over just over 60% of the population that has been fully vaccinated, over 70% of the adults. So if you can get, if you have a booming economy and you have declining COVID rates, which go together, uh, I think he's got a hell of a story to tell. And then you have these massive accomplishments and these deliverables for, for every American. I, I think the Democrats will have a lot to sell. And, what role does Donald Trump play or what role should Democrats pl play him in 2022? <laughs> you know, uh, my yeah, friend, Terry, you mentioned Virginia, right? So yeah, we all know what uh, Terry, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. And right. I was a, a, a big supporter of that strategy and it didn't work. So I have to learn from that. Um, it doesn't mean it won't always work everywhere, though. There are some people who are much more like Trump running out there in America. Um, you know, uh, uh, Herschel Walker, uh, Dr. Oz, these celebrity candidates uh, who are, are filing to run in, in, in various places. So I wouldn't dismiss that. But I do think, uh, uh, you know, it failed in Virginia. Uh, and I think Democrats need to learn from that. Uh, but on his own, Trump is doing all he can to divide that party. Uh, you know, he, he may he practically endorsed Stacey Abrams <laughs> in Georgia. That's how much he hates Brian Kemp, the Republican governor. And now he's got Senator David Perdue, who's, I think, pretty well liked among Republicans in that state, challenging his incumbent governor. Uh, it, it's, it's, that's going to hurt the Republican Party of Georgia. And in a 50-50 state, you know, that could make a huge difference. So I think in a lot of places, actually, Trump, just by dividing his own party, is going to help the Democrats. And in some places, but not all, 
I think it's it's useful to run against the Republican as a Trump clone, if he or she really is, uh, uh, both in substance and in style, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, uh, Trumpian candidate. And I guess a particular question there is whether or not they endorse the big lie, right? Or repeat the big lie or run on the big lie. Absolutely. Now, they have a cute answer for this, which uh, I think is uh, intellectually dishonest. But when you ask them, most of them will say this now. Well, there are questions. Or they say, you know, a lot of people tell me they think the election was... Well, yeah. Yeah, because you've been telling them. (laughs) Okay, Bill, is the moon a rock or is it made of green cheese? A lot of people believe it was made of green cheese. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I I find that so reprehensible. But that's what the clever ones are doing now. And I think uh, voters need to call them out and say, wait, whoa, whoa, wait. (laughs) It's either a rock or it's a piece of cheese. What is it? If Donald Trump lost, period. By the way, uh, uh, my Republican friends who are anti-Trump say that reminding Trump that he's a loser and reminding Trump supporters mm-hmm. that he's a loser is actually very effective. That he is not just a loser, he's the biggest loser. No president has lost the House and the Senate and the White House in just four years, in 90 years. So he's a once in a century loser. Uh, also lost a popular vote twice. Right. So uh, I, I think that kind of drumbeat can and uh, maybe have uh, some effect on some of these marginal Trump voters. Uh, it does seem to be the one word uh, that really drives drives him cra- crazy. Uh, you, you reference some of the people uh, on the Republican side of the aisle that you've talked to, Paul. I'm sure uh, some of the same ones that I've talked to: Charlie Sykes and Bill Kristol, and you mm-hmm. know uh, Rick Wilson, uh, Christine Todd Whitman, Barbara uh, Comstock there in Virginia. Um, By the way, can I add one more to that? Please. I, I don't know if you've had her on the podcast. I interviewed her recently, Sarah Longwell. No. Sarah is yeah. a, a, a born and bred Republican who, like a lot of good Republicans of conscience, could not stand Trump. And she's, I think, the publisher of The Bulwark, which is a oh, conservative yeah. Yeah. anti-Trump mainstay. Right. It's a terrific uh, magazine online. Uh, and anyway, I interviewed her recently, and uh, she has the deepest insights into these Trump voters. It's it's not going to make you happy, but she really understands. She's done hundreds and hundreds of focus groups. Anyway, I'll give well, Sarah. Uh, a, no, a I'm plug. glad you good. I'm glad you mentioned her name. We'll 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 book her on the Bill Press Pod. But I guess my question is: in, in talking to these people, I mean, they're all smart. They're really dedicated. They're real conservatives, right? right. Will they ever succeed? Will we ever see the Republican Party get back to what you and I once knew it as a a, a, a proud opposition party in this country that at least had some some ideas, even if we didn't like their ideas. Well, right now the outlook is very very dim for that. Um, look, there's always been a crazy fringe in America. Um, in a hundred years ago, scores of congressmen were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Eleven senators were members of the Ku Klux Klan. 16 governors were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Every single one of them was a Democrat, Bill. And you and I are lifelong Democrats. That is to the party's eternal shame is that it was in the tentacles of a terrorist society. But you know what the Democrats did? It took them a long time, but they purged the Klan from their party entirely. And even in our lifetime, the Democrats went from being the party of George Wallace to being the party of Barack Obama. You can do this. By the way, uh, William F. Buckley, uh, and Ronald Reagan, to an extent, purged the John Birch Society 
which was so powerful in Orange County when you were uh, California yep. party chair. They purged the John Birchers from their movement. You can do this. But I see very little appetite outside of those heroes you've mentioned and, and Congresswoman Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, Congressman King, uh, Kinzinger. Add them to the, absolutely. But very little appetite. I don't see a William F. Buckley or a Ronald Reagan. I don't see uh, a Hubert Humphrey or an LBJ or a JFK driving these lunatics out of their party. That's what you have to do. And and uh, it, it keeps coming up in American history. But this is the first time, I hate to say it, Bill, the first time since the Civil War <laughs> that yeah. you've had that movement so ascendant without leaders saying, get out. You know, we just buried Bob Dole. And I will always remember his San Diego convention. I'm working for Bill Clinton against him. I didn't exactly want Dole to win. <laughs> but I remember his convention address. And one of the things he said, Bill, he said, and it, it, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it. Yeah. He said, if you believe that that some Americans are not equal to you because of the color of their skin, and he pointed out, mm-hmm. at, at, out to the audience, he said, the, uh, the exits are clearly marked. Wow. He yeah. told them to get the hell out of his party if they didn't believe in racial equality. Uh, that's what they need to do today. Now, I think President George W. Bush did that on 9-11. It's one of the most important speeches of his life this past September. Uh, and, and I thought it showed some some real uh, political courage on the former president's part. But we need more of that from them. Right. Uh, you remind me of uh, President Biden quoting Bob Dole at the memorial service just a few days ago, where he said Bob Dole once told him that why he voted uh, for the Martin Luther King holiday was that no first class nation can stand to have second class citizens. Oh, yeah. True. Put it, put it right out there. Uh, Paul Bergala is our guest today, a longtime friend and a Democratic uh, strategist, campaign manager, a CNN contributor. Uh, we will take a quick break and then come back. Paul, you're from Texas. I want to find out about what the hell's happening in Texas when we come back from the break here. Uh, <laughs> you bet. Hang, hang in there. We'll be right back. Today's podcast with Paul Begala brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan. The members of the Laborers Union, very active in the construction field, of course, building infrastructure uh, already and ready to build more now that the infrastructure bill has been passed and the money is flowing to the states. They're very active in the energy field, building solar panels and the uh, wind turbines, as well as old-fashioned pipelines. Very active in the government area as well, with uh, thousands and thousands of healthcare workers, members of the Laborers Union. We salute them all, thank them for their good work uh, rebuilding America, and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A, Org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back on today's Bill Press Pod with political strategist, a good friend, Paul Begala. So, Paul, tell us about Texas. We keep saying that someday... Texas is going to turn blue. Paul, when is it? (laughs) Well, I I tell you, it's very good news for Texas Democrats that Beto O'Rourke is running. Uh Uh, You know, he is charismatic. You know, his his real name is Robert Francis O'Rourke. And a lot of people see a lot of Robert Francis Kennedy in him. Now, he lost last time. And uh, I thought he ran a bad presidential campaign. He is so dynamic and he's so electric on the on the stump. the incumbent governor, Greg Abbott, the Republican, has tens of millions, like 50 or $60 million raised. Mm. But he's got a couple of, of Republican opponents in his own primary who are even to the right of him. Hard to imagine. Um, so it, it, you know, you, you always, it, it, Democrats haven't won a single statewide election in Texas in 25 years. Not one, not a single, not, not an mm. agriculture commissioner, not a land commissioner, not a railroad commissioner, nothing. So they're O for life over a quarter of a century. Uh, but they, they do with O'Rourke have uh, somebody with great charisma at the top of their ticket. Um, I also think that Democrats need to do a better job there of explaining why Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick are doing all these crazy things. Yes, they want to take away women's rights. Yes, they want to limit voting rights. But mostly what I think they want to do is distract and divide the people of Texas so they can't get together and recognize that the power went out during the worst winter storm in Texas <laughs> right. history because mm-hmm. of them. The governor yeah. and his and, and the Republicans around that state did not do their job. And 700 people died. Bill, I have a friend whose aunt froze to death. Ooh. She died because Republicans wouldn't take on big natural gas companies and make them winterize their facilities. You know, Oklahoma is north of Texas and it had the same winter storm and they kept the lights on every every minute because they were part of the federal power grid that required those natural gas producers and others to winterize their facilities. Texas didn't do it. So I think Democrats need to explain to people, look, they're trying to divide us in order to divert us from the fact that they can't keep the lights on, they can't keep the hospitals open, practically, they're overflowing with mm-hmm. COVID patients. They can't do their job. Um, and, and I think O'Rourke has the kind of communication skills that, that could really uh, 
help to frame those kinds of choices. Now, there's a special thing. If I could get a little deeper in the weeds. Please, go. Yeah. Terrible concern I have is the collapse that the Biden-Harris ticket suffered in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. Now, the Rio Grande Valley is the most democratic part of Texas. Hillary carried those counties there by a margin of 50 points. Margin. Wow. Joe carried them by two. And a few of them he lost. God, yeah. So we collapsed in the Rio Grande Valley. And we collapsed there. I've done a lot of research on this, talked to a lot of people. And we collapsed there, I believe, because the, the Republicans told the folks down there, Democrats would ban fracking that we would uh, uh, open the borders, that we would defund the police and the border patrol. And, you know, there's only a couple of ways out. The Rio Grande Valley is poorer than Appalachia. It's the poorest place in America. And the only ways out of poverty there are work for a fracking company, work for the border patrol, work Mm. for the sheriff's department, Mm -hmm. join the military. And Republicans were able to convince people that we were against all that. It wasn't true in the case of Joe Biden. But I think Democrats didn't spend enough time and money and attention, and you must never take anybody for granted. And uh, uh, the Republicans did work it hard. So I I really want my fellow Texans to put in a ton of time, uh, particularly with the the Hispanic vote, uh, and especially in the Rio Grande Valley, because those are really, those are our people, man. We love them, Mm -hmm. and they used to love us, and we were doing things that drive them away, and we need to listen to them. And, uh, and then come back and pay attention to them more than 48 hours before the election. Yeah, good point and good warning. Uh, you know, Paul, there is a lot of talk these days, a lot's been written about it. And this gets back to a little bit of what we were talking about, the media, that there are kind of two things going on today. You know, one is the politics as usual, the horse races. I mean, how many articles have we seen about whether or not Joe Biden's going to run again in 2024 and who might run if he dies? I mean, Jesus, you know, this is 21, right? Uh, okay. So there's all that kind of stuff. Uh, while there's also this assault on democracy that's right. going on, state after state, and the media's not really talking about that. Are, I mean, are you worried about this assault on democracy? Should we be worried? I, 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 it is a five alarm fire. And you're right. Journalists have to rethink how they cover this stuff. Um, and, and Democrats have to rethink how we talk about it. You know, we're operating, Democrats are, and hell, I am too, I bet you are, in a world in which we were raised to believe that politics is about making people's lives better. And, um, you know, at their best, the Republicans think that too, and they have different ideas. They think lower taxes and less government would. And we think that, you know, more equity, more opportunity would. So we have had that debate all of our lives. That's not what's happening anymore. The Democrats are still in that mindset. I'm going to make your life better and you'll reward me with your vote. The Republicans have given up on that. And a great many of their followers have. And instead, they're simply saying, I'm going to stop the progress and I'm going to hate the people who you hate. And that's it. I'm not going to make your life better. Good God. Trump's last year in office, Bill, we lost 100,000 people to drug overdoses, the overwhelming majority uh, opioids and and particularly fentanyl. And it was disproportionately hitting Trump country. And he didn't give a rip snort. He didn't do a doggone thing. And, And, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Well, we ought to be there for them. We should show them that, yes, actually, government can make your life better. Government can 
crack down on these uh, uh, opioids and and help your kids and help your cousins and help your neighbors. Um, I think that we got to show that making a difference in people's lives is possible and is worthy and simply, quote, owning the libs, it's just not going to get you anywhere. And this and the idea that, I mean, for example, some of the candidates, Trump is out there endorsing candidates for the state legislature, right? Right. Who will agree to pass laws that will give the state legislature the right to overturn the will of the people in an election. I mean, to me, this is an assault on democracy that for the most part, I don't want to be not um, too broad brushed, but the media is just treating as just maybe politics as usual. I think it's a lot worse than that. I think that's right. Um, I, I think that too much of the coverage is still driven by the horse race, yeah. by this, I think, largely false left-right dichotomy. Again, who in the world would have believed that you and I would uh, be on the same side as Liz Cheney? Well, I don't agree with Congresswoman Cheney about anything, really. I mean, I can't think of a single issue that I agree with her on, except her fidelity to the Constitution, her belief that we are a democratic republic, and we have put the Constitution ahead of everything, even our most fervent partisan interests. That she's right about, and yet she is in the distinct minority in her own party on Capitol Hill. Um, and we don't. I think you're right. We don't cover it the right way. Because, uh, you know, every journalist is, I even taught journalism for a while, and they're schooled to, to present things as balanced as they can, that balance will produce fairness. And most issues, that's true. Whether Social Security benefits should be increased as you and I want or decreased as our friends on the right want, you know, you just give both sides. But there's not both sides to, should we end our democracy and throw out the votes of tens of millions of Americans? and install uh, an autocrat and end the democratic experiment in, in America. That's not a two sides thing to me. And, and I do think, I think people are wrestling with it in newsrooms all across America, but I think they have to be much more forward leaning in defense of democracy. Are you optimistic that our basic democratic institutions can and will survive? Not entirely. Hmm. I, I'm really worried. That's scary. I, I have to say the thing that, that I, I, that's probably the largest driver of this that I haven't even mentioned is social media. You know, I, 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 I'm old and I'm happy to be old and I'm old enough to remember when this was a much more racist country than it is today. Believe me, I grew up in a small town in Texas. And so I know we've made progress. I know we're not as racist, but even at the worst of the sixties or seventies, they weren't trying to storm the Capitol and, and overthrow the election. So what is different now? What's different now is that social media has augmented and put jet fuel behind the most divisive and dishonest and harmful conspiracy theories because that's how they make more money. You know, I saw Nick Clegg, he's a former member of parliament. He was the leader of the Lib Dems in, in England. And he works for Facebook now. He went on TV and he said this, Bill. Look, our our platform is designed for you to have a positive experience. We want you to have the best experience that you can have on Facebook. Why would we not want you to? And I was screaming at the TV. Yeah. Because basic neuroscience tells you that what holds your attention is the negative. It's a divisive. Facebook doesn't exist to make you happy. 
It exists to keep you on Facebook. And the longer you're on Facebook, the more money they make because the more ads they can sell. And if they know, because they have neuroscientists, and now this Ms. Hogan, uh, who released these documents, has proven that Facebook knows that the hateful, the divisive, the dishonest, the destructive, that holds the audience on there. And I'm telling you, we have to find a way to work with the Republicans on this. Many Republicans hate Facebook as much as I do. And we have to find a way to work with the Republicans to crack and reform that algorithm. Uh, uh, that's at least what this Frances Haugen has suggested. And she's an expert, and I suspect she's right. No, there's no doubt. The more outrageous things you say, I mean, look at some of these uh, just impossibly idiotic conspiracy theories, right? But <laughs> that's what gets her clicks. And that's and what good gets- news does not. You know, yeah. uh, uh, you'll appreciate this as a brother Catholic. Uh, <laughs> for Lent this last year, you know, I always give up uh, uh, cursing, <laughs> drinking, or Twitter, the three sins of my daily life. Uh, and, and, and so this year, my wife said, don't do that. Do something positive. I said, what do you mean? She said, post something positive on Twitter every single day. And I mm. did. And I came up with a little form. Every tweet began with three words. People are good. And then I, I described mm. a, a good news story about people. Um, uh, girls in a homeless shelter in Des Moines who formed a Girl Scout troop and then won the state championship for selling the most cookies. People are good. Yeah. Kids in Louisiana who chipped in and bought their janitor a car uh, because he lost his job because of COVID. People are good. I did this every single day for 40 days, Bill, mm-hmm. and, and no one saw it. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I, I have about a quarter of a million followers. If I tweet something about Trump being a pig... It'll get 1,000, 5,000, 15,000, once in a very blue moon, 50,000 likes or or retweets. I got like at the most like 130 for these good news stories. I got a quarter million followers. Yeah. A hundred people maybe took an interest in that. And it's not that that I'm wrong. People are good. But we are wired. Our amygdala is wired to receive and pay attention to the negative over the positive. You know, 50,000 years ago, if we were walking through the jungle Mm -hmm. and we saw a beautiful butterfly to the left and a saber-toothed tiger to the right, you're not going to spend a lot of time admiring that butterfly. (laughs) And that's how God made us. And so we have to overcome that. And that's what every good philosophy and every good religion does, right? Tries to teach us to overcome that human nature and, and embrace godly nature. But Facebook is dragging us back. They really are dragging us back to the Stone Ages. Boy. Where if somebody looks different from you, you should hate them. And I just think it's the most destructive force out there of all of, of all the problems we have. It's that we can't even agree upon facts any longer. And that's because people are force-fed lies and division. Wow. What a story and what that says about the platform. Paul Bergala, God, is so good to connect with you again. And I'm so glad you're still out there as I am fighting the good fight, Paul. You know, it's up to us, right? I love it, Bill. And and your listeners. Yes, absolutely. They're going to drive this thing in far more than you and me. Absolutely. We're all in it. We're all in it together. And we got a long way to go. Paul Begala, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Bill, thanks. Merry Christmas to you. And that's it for today's podcast with Paul Begala. Big thank you, of course, to Paul Begala. And a thanks to all of you for joining us so many times during this year. Uh, and we got one more podcast coming up. 
for 2021, and that is our Reporters' Roundtable, which will be on Thursday this week, not Friday, Thursday, December 30. A look ahead at 2022, what the big stories might be, in addition to the midterms, of course. On that, again, three of Washington's top reporters joining us for the Reporters' Roundtable this Thursday, December 30. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Come back and see us on Thursday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.